0: Welcome to another episode of Digital Detox Secrets. Those three words can change your life. My name is Lisa Bayer and I'll be your host. Today's guest is Rhonda Britton. She is an author, speaker, she's been on Oprah several times, and she specializes in how to overcome your belief system and your fears that might be stopping you in your life. In this episode, we talk about everything from how she started her company, a life-changing moment that changed everything and is who she is today, but the struggles that came along with it. In this episode, you're also going to learn some super helpful tips when you might be in a state of fear and need to get past it. I hope you enjoyed this episode with Rhonda as much as I did talking to her and interviewing her. Namaste. Hi, everybody, and welcome to another episode of Social PR Secrets. My name is Lisa Beyer, and I am very excited to have my special guest and friend, Rhonda. Hey, Rhonda. Hey, Lisa. I am so excited to be with you today. Well, we met in our mastermind group, Baby Bathwater. Mm-hmm. Um, it's been about, I think, almost a year. Yeah. And I remember um, like really getting to know you when you did a session on... It was it wasn't called fearless living, but that's your business, fearless living, that's your story, fearless living. And it was helping entrepreneurs, you know, overcome things like imposter syndrome and you know the, the issues that you would never think that successful people have that they have yes. insecurities, imposter syndrome, you know, not sure of themselves, stress, anxiety. And talk about stress and anxiety in a time like this, like now it's like compound. That's right. Right? That's right. We're, so, we're we're an overload of stress and anxiety. We, we definitely are. So Rhonda, just tell us a little bit about your business, Fearless Living, what it's all about, and how you got to actually come up with the idea. And I titled this this episode, How to Take Pain and Turn It into Gain. And I think that your story is just very prolific in, in, in that example.
1: Yeah. Wow. Um, yeah. I, I, yes. Pain into Gain. I think that is where uh, some people want to turn away from their pain and they want to pretend they're perfect. And in fact, that is the last thing we want to do when we really want to help people, support people, shift people, change their lives, et cetera. So, um, you know, I came, well, I, I shouldn't say I came up with fearless living. Fearless living came, came to me in the sense of um, it became very clear as I moved through my life uh, and healed my own story, healed my own past, that um, what I was really doing is actually showing myself how to be fearless and understand how to master fear because that's what i do fearless living is all about how to uh friend uh how to friend how to uh, transcend and how to use fear as a vehicle for change, for transformation, for becoming who you're meant to be, right? To live, as we say, to, to live the life your soul intended. And most people, what I discovered through my, through before Fearless Living and then during Fearless Living as I'm teaching, speaking, writing, et cetera, is that most people don't even know that they actually have fear, they just, think they have anxiety and they don't see how that's related to fear. They feel overwhelmed. They don't understand how that's related to fear. They don't they don't see their procrastination, their perfectionism, right? They're comparing, they're competing. All the things that they're embarrassed by, all the things they wish they could change about themselves, all the things that they hate about themselves, um, you know, they think they're individual problems when in fact they all stem from fear. And when you start understanding how fear works, and, I, and of course I've created a method to help you do that, um, to help you understand how fear works for you because it's individualized and personalized, once you understand how your fear works, that anxiety, that overwhelm, that procrastination, that perfectionism, those all just go by the wayside because those aren't really the problem at hand. You know, it really is fear. So I think that people turn away from fear or deny fear or ignore fear when in fact fear is the solution they're looking for.
0: Fear lets you, it, sometimes you get paralyzed by fear and you can't move and you don't know what to do, right? Yeah. Yeah,
1: I mean, well, you know, the research shows that, you know, what is it? Fight, flight, you know, freeze, and then some people add fake. Um, But all of those, you know, kind of like we intellectualize them, like, well, I'm, you know, I'm freeze. Yeah, your freeze is when you can't make a decision. Like, we don't think of that as freeze, right? We just think of like, well, I'm just feeling stuck. Well, that's actually freeze. You know, when you uh, are having an argument or wanting to... uh, you know run away from an argument or run away from uh, a confrontation or run away from a difficult conversation that's flight right so we don't really think about that in that terms we just beat ourselves up put ourselves down and say i should be different i should be braver i should be more skilled i should i should be different i should be different than the way i am what's wrong with me um but it really is just fear and once you understand how fear works the game changes right the game changes and and, and i'll just add one more thing is fear is part and partial of our neurobiology it's part and parcel our neurobiology, the way that we're wired, uh, is actually in relationship to fear. It's, it is about fear. So when we deny fear, we're actually not
0: using how it was meant to be used. How are some, what, can you share some ways that we could use fear to our advantage? Like, how do we over, overcome it so that we're not, we're, we're actually doing what you're saying fearless living?
1: Yeah, yeah, I would be happy to. Uh, so one exercise that I've been giving out a lot recently, because of what we're moving through in our times, is an exercise called control and no control. And um, I think it's really important. You know, when I'll just say it this way: when when we do, we have so much uncertainty, we have so much chaos, we have so much volatility. When we're unsure of what's going to happen next, we feel out of control. Of course, that would make sense because we're in the unknown. Um, and when we're out of control, we look, we look out into the world and we want to kind of control what's going to happen. We want to kind of control, you know, the future. We want to control what's out of our control. And we actually don't pay attention to what we can control. So I've been giving every single uh, business owner, every single uh, manager, every single coach this exercise, because It it immediately will start getting you focused on what you need to focus on. It starts getting you really clear. Um, And basically, you just take a piece of paper. You put a line down the middle. On the left-hand side, you write the word control. And on the right-hand side, you write the word no control. And this is just a quick little exercise to move you through this particular time in our lives. I love this, yeah. And on the left-hand side, you're gonna write everything that you're in control of. So we're in control of what we put in our mouth. We're in control of how much we sleep. We're in control if we get to work that day. We're in control of what we're gonna do at work, right? If you're gonna pull your computer out and actually you're in control of doing a Facebook Live, right? You're in control of doing your podcast. You're in control of so many things. You're in control of your attitude. You're in control of your thoughts. You're in control of so many things. Now, out of control, we're out of control about a lot of things too, right? We don't have control over... Um, you know, when the world is going to get healthy again, we're out of control. We're not in control of the way that the government responds. We're not in control of a lot of the things out there. So when we feel anxiety, that's where we go. We want to actually control what we can't control. What we want to do is go back to our list of control. And this is the secret, not just writing the list because that's nice. uh, But really what we want to do is actually rate ourselves on a scale of one to 10, how well we're doing in the areas of control. So for instance, if you're not sleeping and you know, oh, I'm in control of my sleep. Okay. My sleep is a two. Well, if you actually practice focusing on sleep, you would actually feel more in control. You'd start feeling more confident. You'd start feeling more centered. You'd start feeling uh, more aligned with yourself. And so the things out of control would not be so heavy, would not be so burdensome because you are controlling what you can. So what I find is that people have this big control list. And if they don't rate it, they actually aren't telling themselves the truth and they get overwhelmed by it. They get overwhelmed by their control list, right? So rate yourself on a scale of one to 10 and ask yourself, okay, great. This is a two. This is a five. This is an eight. uh, And congratulate yourself, acknowledge yourself for the things that you're doing well and pick three things, you know, one at a time, what you want to start getting better at, getting to sleep, Drinking more water, um, making connection—you know, reaching out to people that you love and care for. Because um, again, we are all about connection, connection, and connection. You know, it's either—you know—when fear is uh, fear is in control, we sometimes want to isolate. It's the very last thing we want to do. We want to connect. So look at your list and pick one, two, or three things and start working on those. You're going to start feeling your confidence rise. You're going to start feeling more security within. You're going to start feeling that you have power. And it's really gonna take back your power and make you feel empowered.
0: I love that, the way that you format that, because yeah, you could say, okay, I'm not getting enough sleep, but when you put it in a scorecard, like, and you write it down, and then you have to take action on what you do have control over, and those low scores, it's just, it's like a report card, you know, scorecard, so.
1: Yeah, it's it's a report card. And you know, this is how we have to take our power back, because when you're feeling out of control, when you're feeling anxious, you're, you're giving your power away, right? You don't, you, don't, you don't have access to your power and you feel disempowered. And so we wanna start doing things that immediately, you know, cause you don't know, you don't need your wheel of fear and wheel of freedom to do this exercise, right? You don't, you don't have to know your core fear for this exercise. You just get to get this exercise under your belt. So you start practicing some of the tools that give you back your power and give you back your confidence and give you back your hope and possibilities.
0: I think what people don't realize is that this, this can be, this can happen, this is not, it's teenagers, it's college students, it's professionals, it's, you know, if you're a, a, you know, a bartender, it just, a waitress, like it doesn't matter who you are, where you live, what age you are, it, this happens to everybody. We all have had this happening to us and it's like, well, this person must be so confident. I don't, you know, and you get intimidated, especially with social media.
1: Well, uh, yeah, exactly, social media. But I, I love that you brought up earlier, you know, that we met at our mastermind because, you know, as you and I both know, people in that mastermind are highly, highly successful, and nobody would ever think that they had the fears they did. And then when I asked them, you know, how do your fears show up? What, what in fearless living, what we call fear responses? Let's talk about your fear responses. You know, how many people compare? How many people beat themselves up? How many people have anxiety? I mean, that page was full full and and what I know to be true I don't care what audience I talk to whether it's a group of teachers whether it's a group of multimillionaires, whether it's a group of stay-at-home moms you know whether it's a group of small business owners it doesn't matter you know we all have fears that are perpetuating our worry our overwhelm our anxiety our comparing our competing etc perfectionism and we're we're kind of instead of dealing with the fear itself, we're actually just changing the chairs on the Titanic. You know, We're just moving our fears around, when in fact, we really wanna build a relationship with fear because that's how we're going to actually change the way our brains work. Neuroscience says that the only way to truly change our lives is by changing our filtering system. So we wanna be able to change our filtering system that we can look out in the world from fear to freedom. We, we wanna do that. We wanna have, be skilled at that. We wanna be confident about that so that we can do that anytime.
0: So do you feel like social media is a good filter, a neutral filter, a sometimes okay filter, or what do you feel?
1: You know, it really is based on the eyes of the person uh, looking at social media, right? Yeah. I mean, if I'm feeling confident and powerful, if I'm in my freedom, if I'm living on my, what do we call for living the wheel of freedom, if I'm in my wheel of freedom, I can go to social media and be like, yeah, look at all these great people are doing things. You go. Yeah. You're amazing. I love you. Bye. Oh yeah. Right. But if I'm feeling insecure and I look at social media and everybody's talking about how great things are, then I'm feeling like I'm a piece of doo-doo. What am I doing wrong? Why can't I get it? so it really is the eyes the filter again of the person who's looking at the social media what are you looking for are you looking in social media for the ways to beat yourself put it, put yourself down or are you going to social media to inspire yourself to support yourself to build yourself up and it's 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 your it's your intention and your you know the filter in which you look those two things your intention and your filter are going to decide social media for you
0: so true and i mean we can't especially right now, couldn't live without social media. It's something that's keeping us engaged and connected. Um, so we have to still balance it. But right now, it's kind of our lifeline to the world and to each other. And, you know, we're here through zoom, and we're trying to get onto Facebook, but Facebook was kind of like not cooperating with us. But yeah, I mean, so right now, we really need social more than anything. I, agree. And, I mean, Rhonda, part of the reason why, I mean, we connected immediately at Baby Bathwater. I felt a strong connection with you because mm-hmm. like, you know, we talked about it, like we, we've we been through some pretty um, tragic things that 99.99% of I've, the whole world population has not been through. I'm just going to say, right. But and I'm grateful the that they have
1: it. I'm grateful that they haven't.
0: Yeah. yeah. Yeah, me too. Um, so we, I, I connected with you and your, and, and your story and you know, um, I just give you so much credit and how you've taken it and turned it around and turned it into a business that you're able to like, take that pain and turn it into gain. Um, You know, if you want to share, share part of that story. And I also want to talk about how that story, you know, you, you shared that story on Oprah and what that was like.
1: Yeah, I shared that story on Oprah, on Steve Harvey, on Good Morning America, on the Today Show, um, you know, on, you know, through, Having my own three TV shows, right? So yes, absolutely. I'd be happy to share that. Um, so my what you're what Lisa's referring to, what you're referring to is the worst day of my life, and I know that you know what it looks, what it feels like to have the worst day of your life. Um, the worst day of my life, I was 14 years old, and it was Father's Day, and uh, my parents had recently separated, and we were going to go out to Sunday brunch, and you know we grew up in a little i grew up in a little tiny town in upper michigan so it's like three kids two adults five people that's a lot we don't go out to eat like that's just too much money so today was pretty special and my father uh walked into the house come on come on because that's what dads do my two sisters were in the bathroom fighting it out in our one bathroom and my mom and i start going outside with my dad and as my dad and i reach the door my dad looks at me and says i gotta go get my coat from the car So as me and my mother and my dad start walking out, my sister's still in the bathroom fighting it out. Um, My dad opens the trunk of his car and instead of grabbing a coat, he grabbed a gun and he starts screaming at my mother. You made me do this. You made me do this. And he fires. And I start screaming, what are you doing, dad? Stop. What are you doing, dad? And he cocks the gun and he turns it towards me and I absolutely 100% believed I was next. And he looked at me and I looked at him and he blinked and I blinked and it felt like eternity. I'm sure it was maybe just five seconds, but for me, it just, it felt like years had gone by just us staring each other in the eye. And then my mother with one bullet already inside her and literally with her last breath screams and sees us and screams, no, don't. My father, realizing my mother's still alive, takes that bullet intended for me and shoots my mother a second time and That second bullet went through my mother 's abdomen out her back, and landed in the car horn and For the next twenty minutes, all I heard was eh. and then my father cocks the gun again, gets down on his knees, puts the gun to his head, and fires. So I am the sole witness of watching my father murder my mother and commit suicide in front of me, and I was fourteen years old and You know, I I don't know how other people would have processed that, but my first response and what I lived inside of for 20 years was it's my fault. I mean, I did nothing heroic. Right. I didn't jump in front of my mother. Right. I didn't grab the gun. I didn't kick my father in the shins. You know, I was the only physical person out there that could have changed the trajectory of what happened. And I was, as we talked about earlier, frozen. I was frozen and I could barely get out. Stop, dad, stop. And I was frozen in place. And now my parents are dead. And more importantly, my m- beloved mother was just murdered. And um, witnessing that, when I blamed myself, when, when, you, when you witness that, for me, it took away any chance of happiness. Like. You don't get to be happy if you don't save your mother from being murdered. You don't get, you don't get happiness. You don't get, you don't get that. So for the next 20 years, um, you know, basically I divided into two people that day. Like I split in two, right? Uh, the first, the the part of me was, um, you know, pretended everything was fine. No, I'm fine. I'm fine, right? I went into you know, compensate overcompensating and just pretending. No, I'm fine. And you know, I grew up in Upper Michigan, uh, Midwest town, and you know, nobody came. No relatives came. Nobody came to help us. And so you have to suck it up, and it's fine, right? Like in order to survive, it has to be fine. You just have to suck it up. Yeah. And the other part of me, in the middle of the night, um, you know, there's something seriously wrong with me. Like I am seriously one. I have my father's blood moving through my veins, and two there's something seriously wrong with me. Like, I, I can't, I can't get through this, right? So those two parts of me kind of were at odds for 20 years. And, you know, if you saw me at school in high school and college, uh, I was smiling and pretending everything was fine. But if you were with me at night, and I was drinking, uh, because I then became an alcoholic, um, I got three DUIs, I got three suicide attempts, you would have seen the dark side, you know, the fear come out and just the feeling of worthlessness, the feeling of you know not being good enough, the feeling of you know again you don't get to be happy. Uh, you know you didn't save your mother, and it feels it felt like it was tattooed all over me, right? Like everybody could see. I would walk into a party and it'd be like, oh, there's the girl who didn't save her mother. Again, was that true? Of course not, but that's how it felt for me, right? I felt like every like I was exposed all the time. So again, I overcompensated, pretending I was more than fine, that I was amazingly fine, right? So it was after my third suicide attempt um, that I realized something. I realized that I'm not very good at killing myself, uh, and I'm not going to die. And you know, during those 20 years of me uh, kind of two parts of myself you know at fighting with each other, you know I, I want to be sure that you know everyone understands that it wasn't like I was sitting on the couch. I was actually going to therapy, going to workshops, reading books. I was doing everything I could to try to bridge the gap. I was trying to put myself back together those 20 years. And, you know, I I did every single thing I could. And all those tools were wonderful, but they didn't take away the feeling that there was something wrong with me, that that I was not good enough. They didn't take away that fundamental feeling, regardless of what tool I used, regardless of what we talked about therapy, regardless of what workshop I attended, regardless of, you know, any other skill I had, it's still, I still had that feeling. And so when I did that third suicide attempt and I did wake up, uh, from it, and found myself in my apartment alone. Um, I realized that I had to think of another way. I had to think of another way. That all the tools and all the skills and all the tri- ways I've tried to been helping myself were were helpful, but they weren't curing me. They weren't curing the pain. They weren't curing the anxiety. They weren't curing that feeling of not being good enough. And so, Lisa, out of desperation, I. Literally out of desperation, I started making up exercises for myself. Um, I just started making things up. And shockingly, shockingly, uh, they started working. And then as I started becoming more my true nature, my true self, and started to put my pain behind me and, you know, not walk around in so much suffering and started feeling empowered and powerful and confident, um, people started noticing and they would ask me, you know, like, what have you been doing? And I'd be like, nothing. Because Lisa, it was embarrassing for me to make up my own exercises, right? Like therapy didn't work for Rhonda Britton. Man, she's too stirred up, right? Like this was not a good news for me. Um, and I remember this couple at church dragging me, you know, like, hey, Rhonda, you got to tell us what you're doing. And I'm like, ah, because I was so embarrassed. And she's like, you're doing something. I'm like, ah, and I go, she, I go well, I'm making up exercises. She goes, give us one. And so I gave her one the Next week at church she came back and said "It's working give us another and I think that was the moment Lisa that I went what what <laughs> what it's that was working? your aha moment <laughs> yeah it was like what and, and I that was the first moment that I realized maybe this wasn't just for me um it took me several years still until I became you know did fearless living and became a life coach again there was no life coaching back then but you know became a life coach a speaker author all those things but you know that was my moment where it's like really it helped you um it was it was quite shocking to me that the things that i had done for myself out of my own pain w- would actually be applicable to anybody else
0: mm-hmm. yes it was shocking yeah.
1: and and from there i you know it took like i said it took me time to actually even think that it was even possible. Um, I actually was uh, had my own little PR agency, and one of my clients was one of the first life coaches. And he would say to me all the time, "You're going to be a better life coach than me." And I'm like, "I'm not going to be a coach. Remember, my father killed my mother. No one's going to listen to me." You know, I had nightmares for 15 years. You know, what are you crazy? Um, but he would always say, "You're going to be a better coach than me. You're going to be a better coach than me." And um, that was, you know, that was, you know, having somebody believe in you uh, when you can't believe in yourself is for me personally gave me so much hope and so much possibility and so much motivation. And, um, I think that's what I give to my students. I believe in them until they can believe in themselves. So it's the gift I hand down from my mentor to me, I hand it down to my students and clients.
0: And where did it start? Did it, did it start with a book or what, what came first Where you started turning this into your story into a business? Yeah.
1: Yeah. The first thing that I did was have private clients. Um, And my mentor, like again, my, my, one of my PR clients was a coach. So he became my mentor and, you know, I would go and have a client. I would meet, I live in Los Angeles. I would drive to them. Cause again, remember, nobody knew what life coaching was. So just to get a client was crazy. So I charged $25. I got in my car, drove 45 minutes to meet them in their home you know, with my little $25 drive back, I would run to his house and be like, okay, she said this, I said this, she said that I said this, she said this, I said that, what do I do? What do I do? What do I do? And then after about six months of this, I started realizing I actually knew what to do. Like I started mm-hmm. trusting myself and my exercises that I had done for the last, you know, you know, five years I had started, tr- I started trusting my own journey, you know?
0: Yeah.
1: Uh, and then uh, it went from one-on-one clients to one of my clients asked me to talk to her employees and I was like what I don't speak Uh, but I eventually wore down and did it and I was like well this is fun so I started doing uh, trainings you know started teaching people and then from teaching people I was like well I have to speak if I want people in my workshops I got to go speak so then I started speaking and then from speaking I um people would say well we want a book we want a book and I'd be like what really huh so then I wrote a book and then when I wrote my first book and was in England on my book tour, I went to three different countries. Actually, I went to England, Scotland, Ireland, all throughout the United States. Went to 30 cities in the United States and then went to Australia. And in England, uh, they were creating the very first life, life coaching show ever in reality television. There was, no, there, was, there was nothing like it before this and they were looking for a life coach to, be, uh, to change lives on TV. And I was in late England at the time and so I auditioned and three weeks later I was living in England and then it went from one tv show in one book to um another book and a second tv show and a third book and a fourth book and a third tv show and inside that I did tours all around America you know I, I again I spoke
0: I wrote I um so you, so you actually see the um the power of you know I guess it helped that you did have a PR background before you started this business. You could use those skills and you understood the power of public relations and how that can help share your story, whether it's your personal story or it's a news story Mm -hmm. or it's, you you know, different events that you might be trying to get publicity for. So kind of talk to us about your, your experience with the power of public relations and how this help share your message and help people. I mean, you know, and if you could also share maybe your experience of getting on Oprah and what that was like.
1: Well, I'll tell you about the times I got on Oprah and then Sally, Jesse Raphael and Steve Harvey and things. And I have to say that without Oprah and without Sally, Jesse Raphael, I probably wouldn't be sitting here today because um, I did Oprah and Sally, Jesse Raphael, right as I was starting What's now fearless living? And again, it wasn't called fearless living then. It was just like Rhonda Burton, you know, just working on it. And um, what I did to get on the very first time with Oprah is I actually sent her a letter. I sent her a letter because um, back then I would never tell anybody my story. I was too still ashamed, too embarrassed. I thought nobody wants to hear that story, so I never told anybody my story. And. Um, I would, I wouldn't say I lied about it, but let's just say I would let people assume about it. Like, you know, and people would talk about parents and they would ask me about mine and I'd say, Oh, my parents have passed. And then they would say both of them. They always said the same thing, both of them. And I would say yes. And then they would assume car accident an accident. And I would say, yes, my father in my mind had go, my father accidentally bought a gun, accidentally put bullets in, accidentally shot my mother and accidentally, because I, I can't lie. Like I'm one of those people that cannot lie. So I would like rationalize it in my head how you get it yeah 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 i just had to rationalize it right so they would be like oh my god i'm so sorry i'm like oh yeah yeah no i'm you know i'm good i'm fine i would lie all the time oh no i'm fine you know um so you know back then it was like i was i had so much shame about what happened and so i mean you have to remember when my parents died nobody came you know my relatives didn't come I wasn't allowed to play with people at school anymore because now I was from that family I mean we were me and my two sisters were literally abandoned and we were all you know, and rejected and we basically lived together in our little house and uh, stayed there we stayed in the house that my mother was murdered you know in the driveway uh, for two years and um you know we all had to work uh you know we had a little bit of social security from my mom but again she'd only worked a little bit so it wasn't much money And um, we all worked. I waitressed. My sister worked at a grocery store. My little sister babysat. And, you know, we had to, you know, we had a lot of, of course, it was very shameful. You know, it was very shameful that this had happened to us. And, you know, I also was deathly afraid that my father's blood ran through my veins. And I was really afraid of myself. And I was afraid of my anger. I was afraid of what was possible for me. So um, I decided to write a letter to Oprah and Sally Jess Raphael and say that I have and you and I actually talked about this, Lisa, um, because I said this is the secret that nobody talks about. You know, we can talk about that we were abused as children. Again, it's still horrific. Don't get me wrong, but it's more in the culture that we can talk about it. We can talk about being raped. It's again not that it's difficult, not, not that it's not horrific to talk about, but again, it's in the culture. But but in our society, oh, saying out loud, oh, my mother, you know, my father murdered my mother and committed himself. Everybody still goes, what? you know and it's like oh what do i oh what, I don't, you know they don't know what to do with it so i wrote a letter basically saying i have the biggest secret and uh i walk around with it every day and i can't tell anybody and um you know i'm ready to share it and and i think for me the first time i shared it publicly in was on oprah and sally Raphael, and I remember when I was down doing reality television and people would ask me like, how did those, how do those women and how do those men go on reality shows with you? How do they, why do they, why do they air their dirty laundry on, on TV? And I go, oh, I'll tell you exactly why, which is why I did it. Is I wanted to tell the whole world at once about my parents because somehow it was like, well, if it's all out there, then I don't have to explain it every single time I meet you. You know what I mean? Mm -hmm. And and, and it's almost like the, the shame is out, right? Yeah. Yeah. And, um, so I was on, I was on Sally. Um, the first thing I went on was Sally, Jesse Raphael and told my story. I was on Oprah a few weeks later. And from there, what was awesome is I got to put on every single piece of media and PR and flyer, uh, that, uh, and again, there wasn't social media back then, um, that I was on Oprah and Sally, Jesse Raphael. So,
0: right. you know, gave you I Gave credibility.
1: Yeah, credibility. I mean, I got every, sp- like, I spoke everywhere. I mean, I, then when I started speaking, I would speak 10 places a week. I mean, you know, when I, when people found out I was on Oprah and Sally Jessy Raphael, they were like, oh, well, she must be good immediately. She must be good. So mm-hmm. I would, then I would, then I would build my resume from there. And then when I did more and more TV, you know, TV, um, you know, gives you, so, so media itself gives you credibility Right. It also talks about your level of confidence, because if you're willing to have media, if you're willing to do PR, that means you have a level level of expertise, a level of confidence, a level of understanding of what media is. I mean, people are looking for people. I know when I did PR, um, you know, people always look like, is she camera friendly? Like, is she camera ready? Does she understand media? Because a lot of people want to do media and you know this, uh, Lisa, they want to have PR. They want to do it. But they, they don't have the skill, they don't know how to do it, which is where you come in. You help people do that to get really P- PR, to know what to do, to get, to really use PR. Um, but so yeah, PR um, PR gave me my career and yeah. then doing media and continuing to do media um, kept my career, has kept my career. Like that. that is kind of like the lifeblood of um, having people understand who I am, know who I am, hear my story, And then reach out to me and want me to speak or want me to teach or want me to, you know, write something or do anything.
0: I think that the one message here is that, you know, you put yourself out there and you are authentic and transparent and you put yourself, you know, there's like a little bit of, you know, a risk, you know, and big or small, you know, getting in front of the media to share, even if it's not like, I mean, your story is, 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 you know, just so moving and you know but if it's even just a story about your company and it's li- a lighter story it's still scary there's still a level of fear of whether you're getting up even right. doing well, what you did getting,
1: in- right you're getting exposed right yeah you're getting exposed but you know that exposure you know if you you know I really knew I really knew why I was doing it and I think that there's that big why you know that Simon Sinek talks about you know it's like we have to know the why. And so I was able, I, my why was so big, you know, like, I don't want anyone to experience what I did. I don't want anyone to feel alone. I don't want anyone to think that they're too damaged to get support. I don't want anyone to think there's something wrong with them. I, it is intolerable for me to have anybody live what you and I both lived through in our own unique stories. Like that is intolerable for me. So that gave me the courage to expose myself, you know, and be willing to share my story because, you know, again, for years and years and years, I was too embarrassed to share my story. When I started speaking, I didn't even share my story right away. It took me two years speaking to start sharing my story um, because I thought people would run the other way. So I I think doing media and PR um, helps people feel connected to you and they get to know you through this this vehicle, uh, through this medium. Without, the, without a lot of risk for them, because they get to hear about your story. They get to hear about who you are. They get to hear about your values. They get to hear about your company. They get to hear, and, and then they get to know you, and, um, and then they start looking for you, and then they yeah. want to be with you, you
0: know? And so just fast forward to today, you have, um, so Fearless Living is a course or multiple courses. How would you yeah, describe Fearless- it today?
1: Yeah, fearless living. We focus on two things. One is supporting the public. So anyone, anywhere can use fearless living and you can get support through, of course, reading my books, um, taking a course, uh, going to a live workshop. You know, so there's, I always say that there's no matter what your time, no matter what your money, there is a solution at fearless living for you. And then the second part of fearless living is we have a coach certification program. So I train coaches on my methods on how to support people in being fearless. Um, to really take, you know, to, to really take their life uh, story and their authentic, uh, authenticity and turn it into their own coaching business. So I have, you know, I help the public shift their life and start understanding and mastering their own individual fear. Because again, we're not getting rid of fear. You know, there's no getting rid of fear. It's part of our neurobiology. So if you don't, if you don't figure it out, if you don't know how to work with it, it will run your life in ways that you are not going to be happy about. And so, yes, grab a course, um, and then, um, if you want to become a coach and, you know, I always say that coaching is recession proof, virus
0: proof, uh,
1: because people need you no matter what.
0: Definitely. Definitely. And right now in this, you know, we're, as we're talking, we're in the, you know, first few weeks into the pandemic here in the United States and fear is, you know, rampant across everybody's mind. I mean, it's rampant. I mean, it's just every age, like, I mean, everybody is in at some point of the day, a week in a a state of fear. So what advice do you give today to people just in general about like maybe two or three quick tips that they can? You already gave us that one exercise. What else? Can they go and watch one of your videos and maybe get some? Absolutely.
1: So right now I have, I created a brand new fearless, uh, excuse me, a uh, Facebook group Uh, called fearless you and look for the group fearless you group and of course go to the Rhonda Britton Facebook page and every day I'm in there uh, sharing tips tools to support you through this because again I know what it's like to be alone in the middle of a crisis and I don't want you to feel alone and I want you to have tools and uh, you know just having a conversation so that I can support you so yeah so go over to Rhonda Britton b-r-i-t-t-e-n Facebook page and you can absolutely hear uh, the things that I'm doing and sharing with you so that you can get through it. Um, um, And let's just talk about the pandemic for a minute. One of the things that I've been sharing is that right now, just like you said, Lisa, people are actually in touch with their fear and most of the time they're in denial of it. And so this is, I know this is gonna seem a little weird, but it's like, it's actually the good news because, You can't hide from your fear anymore. It's in your face. So now is the time, you know, when fear is in our face, we kind of start seeing the cracks in our foundation, the foundation of how we live our life. What doesn't work for us? What is no longer, what are the compromises we no longer want to make? Where is it that we fall down in our confidence? Where is it that we let, you know, the external world run our life, you know? So right now, because fear is in our face, it is time to actually have the courage to look at the foundation of your life and actually look at the cracks and go, okay, you know what? When this happens, I'm feeling a lot of anxiety, okay? Which means that you're fear for forward focused. It means that you're worried about the future. You're living in uncertainty. Well, that's not just happening now during the global pandemic. It's bigger now, but it's probably in there anyway, right? So we kind of want to have the courage to, to look at how our reactions are happening. What are we doing? What are we feeling? What are we thinking? So that we actually can start shoring up our um, foundation and build a stronger foundation. And again, do the control and no control exercise and also just start uh, doing two simple exercises. Uh, one is gratitude. You know, of course, we all have been hearing that, but, you know, truly be grateful for the things that really matter to you, not do the puff puff gratitudes, but the, the true heartfelt gratitudes. And then um, have the courage to do acknowledgements. Acknowledge yourself for how you're moving through this. Acknowledge yourself for figuring out how to take care of your kids and work at the same time. Acknowledge yourself for being able to you know, take care of your health and keep your family safe. Like, acknowledge yourself. Again, those are in the control things. You can control those things, acknowledge those things. So doing gratitudes, doing acknowledgements, getting on my Facebook page, watching the videos um, and being part of the Facebook lives and getting downloading the exercises that I'm sharing. And then of course, doing the control and no control is going to support you greatly in the next 24, 36, 48 hours and beyond.
0: Yeah, and I think, I mean, at least for me, I've pretty much been working from home or remote for the past four or five years. I have an office that I don't go into too much. I pretty much am either on the road or work from my home office. So for me, it's not a huge transition to work from home. And it is a struggle when everybody else is working from an office or they're at school and then they come home and then I'm still working. And then it's just like, you know, you have to transition out of it and get into like, you know, not work at home mode. So for those that are just new to working at home, it's very hard to turn it off. You know, when you're working from home, it's like, you know, and I just had um, a message from somebody that I work with in New Zealand, and he was like, I turn off Slack on Sundays, because otherwise, I'll just keep, keep answering it, and I'll see a notification. And I'm like, you know, that's really smart. Like, why don't I do that? You know, why don't I turn off Slack on Sundays, or just Saturdays and Sundays? Like, do I really, if Slack is just for work, turn it off. But yeah. do you have any, any tips on that? Well, the three words that come up for me are centered, grounded,
1: and boundaries, right? Right now that we are in a VUCA time, you know, the military came up with a, a term called VUCA, V-U-C-A, for people in war, right? Like mm-hmm. what happens to people in war? And VUCA stands for volatility, uh, uncertainty, chaos, and ambiguity. And that's what we're in right now. And we actually wanna move that into what's called calm. And calm is all about clarity, helping ourselves get clear, which is some of the exercises that I share that control and no control, you get clear. Um, The A is for um, um, assurance. Everybody needs assurance. So so assuring your family, assuring your clients. um, Over-communicate right now, not under-communicate, over-communicate with your clients. I love that word, over-communicate. Yeah, over-communicate with your clients, not under-communicate, over-communicate assurance. L is for leadership. It's now if you own a business, if you are at work, um, if you're working for somebody else, right? Um, and, and in your family, it is time to lead, right? It is time to be the leader. You got to mm-hmm. lead. And then the other thing, the M for calm is movement. You need to keep moving. And again, I love the thought of turning off slack uh, and you know, taking care of putting your hours in place. And you want to keep moving and you want to keep moving in ways that support you. Again, the control and no control. And you want to be the movement for your team, for your family, for your company, right? So we want to move from VUCA to calm. And those things I've been telling my coaches, if you just focus on focusing on your clarity, that is going to decrease your anxiety right away, right? Yeah. If you focus on assuring your family and your, uh, your clients and your team, again, going to take care of that anxiety more. So, yeah. which brings me to centering grounding and boundaries. So, you know, are you centering yourself every day? Are you doing it several times a day? Anytime you start feeling that anxiety on a scale of one to 10, the minute it goes past three, are you doing centering exercises? Um, are you staying grounded in your life, grounded in your life? And then are you putting boundaries up um, whether it's social media, whether it's Slack, whether it's, you know, whatever you want to put boundaries up about, but really you know, we're all home right now and we've all, I mean, I know, I don't know Lisa about you, but sometimes I've gone, God, if I was just home a month, you know, God, if I was just <laughs> home a month, right? God. Well, you know what, Lisa, I'm home a month, right? <laughs> all of those things I've been saying to myself, well, if I was just home a month, it's like, well, Rhonda, welcome to your home a month. Now you yeah. get to stay, do all those things that you've been saying you wish you could. Um, so I, I think actually this is a huge, up, you know, it's obviously a very painful and difficult time because of the anxiety, But more importantly, we can turn it into this is a huge opportunity to clean up our own foundation and actually ask ourselves, is this how we want to continue to work? Is this how we is this our dream? Is this what we want to do with our lives? So, again, I understand that some people don't have that freedom to do that, but just allowing your thoughts to think it will give you the courage and the fortitude to make changes, perhaps, you know, three, six months to a year from now.
0: Yeah, there is, um, I'm going to find this post and share it with you. So his name's Leo. He was one of the co-founders of Buffer, the social media um, sharing app. And he sold out a couple years ago. So he went and he was a monk for like a year nice. and now he's doing consulting. Um, but he did this very, I just love this post. And one of it, one of the things, his whole point was, you know, people worry about like the worst thing that could possibly happen to them. Like what is the, you know, like you're projecting like you know, and so he was saying one of his clients was, what if I go bankrupt? And he said, you are right. bankrupt. Like, yeah. <laughs> like, re- be bankrupt. How does that feel right now? That's right. That's you know, right. and like, it's just kind of like your worst fear. Is it really, you're going to survive. You're going to get right. through it. If that actually happens. It's actually, um, the Facebook so just,
1: live. it's actually the Facebook live. I just did yesterday. Um, really? I, I did worst case scenario. Um, because you trying to hold off your worst case scenario actually increases your anxiety. Right. Exactly. So, right. So I've been telling my clients, I've been telling my students, I want you to tell me your worst case scenario. So I, I said, this is my worst case scenario. My worst case yeah. scenario is nobody wants fear anymore. Like people are like, I'm already afraid. I don't want even want to learn how to deal with fear. Right. Yeah. And my business goes belly up. Right. Like, so let's just say that's the worst case scenario. No, no money coming in. My clients all quit. My students all leave me like everybody like is uh, woe to the wind. My business collapses. Okay. Worst case scenario. Okay, what do I do? Well, get rid of my house. uh, Put my stuff in storage. Oh, wait, maybe I can't afford that. I'm going to put everything out on my lawn. Okay, worst case scenario. Oh, wait, I have a Prius that's paid for that has three quarters of a tank of chaos. Okay, uh, I I can do that. So I'm going to put my little suitcases in my my Prius and drive to my sisters or drive to a friend's. I can make uh, a one day to uh, Arizona. So, right, I can drive all the way to my friends in Arizona, right? So, that's my worst case scenario. Worst case scenario is I have suitcases in the car and I'm driving somewhere, right? With like $12 in my pocket. That's the worst case scenario. So I think if everybody really looks at the worst case scenario and is in that, just like the, the uh, previous owner of Buffer said, um, yeah. Then, yeah. then you can start creating from there. If you, yeah. if you try to hold off your worst case scenario, you can't create because yeah. you're, start, you're trying to stop that quit trying to stop anything. We want to create, right? We want to, we want to, uh, we want to start growing, we want to expand. We don't want to run away from something we want to create. So creating right now is really important for every single person. Like you starting to create your life, no matter how small, whether it's, you know, choosing your food that day or choosing when you're going to go for that run or to, like, you're creating your life. So yeah, I do. I absolutely, it's one of the exercises. I just shared this exercise it's yesterday. It's so like, funny. Yeah. Yeah. Your worst case scenario, because let's make that. Okay. If you make your worst case scenario. Okay. You can live inside that you're good to go. And now you can create.
0: So good. Rhonda, thank you so much for for sharing your stories and sharing your tips. And do you have any like sources that you recommend besides you? You're an amazing source, anything, any, a book or.
1: Yeah. I mean, uh, you know what I would, uh, if I'll just go ahead and, um, Uh, give a course away. I can give a course away to start helping you understand how to take risk at this time, to start living inside risk and and why risk is so scary right now. So you can go to fearlessliving.org, fearlessliving.org forward slash risk, fearlessliving.org forward slash risk, R-I-S-K. And, you know, I really encourage you if you have uh, PTSD, um, you know, Pay attention to your PTSD. Um, You know, right now that may get triggered. If you do have an anxiety disorder, your anxiety is going to get worse. So self-care is so, so critical. So go look up a look, go look, uh, go go to Dr. Google. I called Google, Dr. Google. Go to Dr. (laughs) Google and say, you know, anxiety exercises, you know, uh, breathing exercises, right? Um, Trauma, uh, you know, start hugging yourself, you know, get your weighted blanket out, start wrapping yourself up. I just bought one. Oh, you I did? I just
0: bought a weighted blanket. Yeah.
1: Weighted blankets are amazing, especially uh, for trauma, any type of trauma or anxiety. Weighted blankets. Yeah, is- I
0: didn't know that.
1: Yep, it's one of the tools. Uh, besides, you know, grabbing your arms and squeezing tight or taking your hands and putting it on your thighs and pushing down, these types that help our nervous systems relax. Um, so take the time, take the time to really start doing, you know, U101, uh, so to speak. And start really focusing on self care during this time because that's going to give you the fortitude, the courage, the resilience to actually take the steps that are going to be needed and necessary for the weeks and months ahead.
0: Yes. So I so agree. Thank you so much for those tips. And, you know, one thing, this is awesome, us doing the Zoom. You know, I I feel like literally like you're right here. Like I'm going (laughs) to give you a hug. I know. Um, I'm going to hug you too. (laughs) Um, We just got, my sister got me the portal, the Facebook portal. Have you heard of it? Ah so um i ordered one for my mom we ordered one for my other sister and it really is it's even more kind of interactive than this and it likes it wow. really makes you feel like you're together more than this does so i recommend like checking that out and if you get one or i'll call you for mine tomorrow okay I good to yeah yeah. Here. So, yeah so i don't, I don't facebook, have it with me it's called the facebook, facebook portal okay. Facebook. Okay. It's like $150. It's not expensive, but it's a, for right now when we can't see anybody really except the people we live with, you know, it's a great way. Like I'll call my sister and it's like, we're having like, we're in this literally in the same room. I mean, this is great, but that's like, even it's like a more enhanced experience. So well, I'm that. so
1: grateful that you told me that I am going to go buy that right after we get off this call.
0: <laughs> I, I don't have mine. Otherwise I would call you on it tonight, but I'm going to get it tomorrow here where I'm staying. So I'll I'll like send you a message on messenger and we can talk on the portal. Perfect. Perfect. Okay. Perfect. I love it. I'm super excited. A new tool, a new fun thing. Yeah. Thank you so much, Lisa. All right. Thanks, Rhonda. Namaste. Thank you for listening to this episode of Digital Detox Secrets. If you liked what you heard, check out the book on Amazon or follow our blog at digitaldetoxsecrets.com. This episode was sponsored by The Buyer Group, a social PR agency striving to keep our balance in the digital world, practicing yoga, meditation, and occasional wine drinking for the best creativity and results. Namaste.